0: Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church, where we talk about the intersection between Christ church and the contemporary culture around us. Welcome to Crossroads, episode three. Uh, today with us we have a great friend of mine, Kason Sibley. Uh, Kason has been a longtime Auburn resident, Auburn student, and is now actually living in London, England, working for the full, working full time for the IMB. So, Kason. Welcome to Crossroads. We're so happy to have you here and back in the states for a short period. So, uh, if you don't mind, why don't you tell us just a very short, high-level overview of how in the world you ended up in from Auburn to London and what you're doing in London, and you know what God's doing in the lives of uh, Londoners over there, if that's how you pronounce it.
1: Yeah. So uh, thanks, Josh. Thanks, thanks for uh, having me on, Josh, and glad to be here. My name's yeah, Cason and Sibley, and uh, from Auburn, and now I'm living in London. Uh, in north central London and in a great location with the International Mission Board. And so, uh, sometime during college, I was able to go on a short term missions trip, and um, God just gave me a heart for the nations and um, sharing the gospel to those who have yet to hear and um, to, to the nations. And so, London is a great place for that. Um, since being in London for only six months, I've met people from over 50, from 51 nations. And that's been really cool so really the world has come to London and so it's a great place to be and uh, our team there is uh, focused on church planting so our uh, mode of operation our goal our vision is to see new churches planted that um, are owned and and ran by locals and so we want to see Brits and the local people in in London um, with new churches and we want to see uh, disciples made who are formed into healthy churches. And so that's kind of what we're pursuing and we share the gospel, share the gospel. And as people come to faith, we will be helping raise up leaders and develop leaders. Um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of the vision. So
0: that's pretty cool. So when, I mean, I remember when you told me that you were going to London, I was pretty surprised because you don't think of London as being somewhere where you send missionaries, right? I mean, London, it's a historic church of England. It's a huge being a place where the Reformation was, and, and the and the Puritans. I mean, you think of guys that, like John Owen and Thomas Watson. I mean, these guys had huge, uh, huge platforms in London not that long ago, and now we're sending missionaries there. So why don't you tell us just the scene in London right now and kind of what you're seeing day to day in terms of why it's to a point where we have to send people to
1: London to share the gospel? So, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, when London is just... It's an array of different beliefs and ideas. I mean, we you'll meet you know, everyone is there Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, New Age, um, Catholics, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, they're they're all there. And uh, even the people who profess to be Christians are many times they actually don't know the gospel and aren't even believing the gospel. They may have a sort of good works moralism, I'm a pretty good person type. Um, of belief. And so, really, it's uh, just it, the laborers are few, and there needs to be more gospel uh, witnesses who can really share the Christ centered message of the Bible and help people um, sort out what is true and what's not. So, it's definitely a place where there's a mix of beliefs, and a lot of people just have never really heard the truth and that what they think that what they're believing is the truth. And so, it's definitely a place that's changed a lot in the last two or three hundred years from the Christian heritage that was so rich um, in the past.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, it's definitely upsetting um, and and sobering to hear, but we're super thankful that the Lord has sent you over there to do church planting. And I know uh, specifically for me, I love just hearing stories of missionaries that are back in the States and hearing how God is working overseas because we just get so focused on the here and now and specifically for our church, what's going on in Auburn without realizing that God is, not only at work and our church, but he's at work all over the world. So thank you for what you're doing, man. Um, so one final question, I I would, before we kind of get going into our conversation, I would love if maybe you just told us what you're seeing day to day with the people you're talking to, because I know you and your team are very aggressive in going and meeting people and forming relationships. I know you like doing that over playing basketball Mm -hmm. and going to the gym and, you know, being active and trying to building a common bond with these folks before you start, you know, really sharing truth with them and building relationships. So why don't you tell us, the, the folks that you're meeting, the people that you're seeing, what, what are some commonalities, what are some conversations that you've had, um, and what do you think, you know,
1: are some common trends? Yeah, so, um, I, yeah, as far as meeting people and, and getting to share the gospel, um, I, that happens in a lot of different ways, uh, through playing basketball or going to the gym, those are natural avenues that that I've been able to meet people and form relationships and, uh, and then share about Jesus with them, uh, and then also we, we use spiritual surveys and other kinds of surveys just to start conversations with people in and, and public places like parks or even on the street, and I've even done that in a, in a shopping mall as well. So we use um, a lot of surveys because we found that in, in London, people love to share their opinion. I mean, people love to talk. They love to share what's on their mind and what matters to them, and so if we, can, if we can get people to share their opinion and start talking, then we can um, hopefully get to truth. And so then once, once we meet you know, random people and are able to share with them, those that are open, we hope to follow up with and continue that relationship uh, with. So I'll just share a brief story. I met a guy in a park. He's a 30-year-old medical doctor, and he was on his day off. He was just sitting on a bench. And uh, I asked him, uh, you know, With the pandemic, a lot of people are dealing with fear and anxiety. Have you found a way to deal with that, or how have you coped with fear and anxiety during this pandemic? And so he started to share and talk, and then I was able to share um, and then get to a more gospel centered uh, conversation about Jesus and the hope that I have. And so me and Dave became good friends that day in the park and realized he likes to play basketball. I like to play basketball. So we went to the local hoop and started to play. We met another guy, 26 years old, and uh, named Connor, and then we met another friend. And so now, uh, before I came back over here, me and these three guys are good friends. We have a group message, and we keep in touch when we're going to play basketball. And I've given a Bible to two of the guys, and then the medical doctor and the, invited me over to his house, and we read a couple of chapters of John, and then we had another Bible study in the park and um, one time, and I mean, they're still agnostic or unbelievers, but um it's been really encouraging just to see their interest and to see like how much they've really learned and, and come along. And I just, I feel like God's working there and we'll see what ends up happening. But that's just, that's actually that sort of the highlight. That's the best story I have. Um, But uh, yeah, it just formed from a random conversation. Then it built into a relationship and then because of that one relationship with a local, two other locals were brought in. And so you really, you really want to find that maybe that one local that's going to kind of be the Doorkeeper, um, and give you credibility with everyone else, and so that's kind of what happened. You just find that one person that's going to be influ- an influencer, and that can open up more doors. Yeah, obviously God's opened those doors, but
0: yeah, that's awesome. So one thing that stuck out to me when we were talking a couple weeks ago about this was just the plurality of different conversations that you've had. Um, you even mentioned, you know, most of the, a lot of the folks that you interact with are Muslims, or you know, maybe confessing Muslims or cultural Muslims. And you even said that there's such a plurality of beliefs even within the folks that are confessing Islam, and of course we would expect that within, um, within Christianity. I mean, if, you know, living at Auburn, there's no shortage of you know different Christians or different churches that you see on every church corner. But it's interesting that that's not even just confined to Christian or just to Christians or to Islam. It's kind of its own religion in a sense, where there's just this giant plurality of ideas, where that you were you were discussing that that. The main, maybe the main religion that you interact with every day isn't necessarily Islam or isn't necessarily cultural Christianity or maybe liberal Christianity. It's this idea of religious pluralism, pluralism. And within that, you could have a confessing Hindu who thinks that you as a confessing Christian are are just as much of a believer in the multiple gods of Hinduism as, you know, he is in the one God of Christianity. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about that and some of the conversations that you've had and what you've seen in the streets of London in terms of religious
1: pluralism. So, yeah, I mean, pluralism is the common thread. I mean, I can talk to a Muslim one minute and then talk to someone who says they're an atheist or agnostic the next. And when just like you said, when you really boil it down, they all have this sort of idea that we're all going to end up in the same place. What you believe is good for you. What I believe is good for me. And let's, you know, just not, let's not disagree. Let's just find the places we agree, move on. Everything's cool, cool. And just don't press in too much. And if you just, if you leave it there, you might be okay. I'll share this one conversation. I was talking to a lady who I told her I was doing church planning and it was a man and woman on a park bench and the woman was a Catholic and she, at first she sounded so solid. I mean, we were having a good conversation. She was really excited about the church planning thing, really seemed excited about Jesus. When I was talking about Jesus, like, I was like, okay, maybe this is, you know, sort of a person of peace that's in my corner. The guy, um, well, well, we'll just say that as the conversation progressed, here's what happened. And this is, if there is one issue that's a hot button issue in London and that will really, if you want to step on nerves, call homosexuality a sin. And that, I mean, that is the over and over and over again, That's that's the nerve that, is always struck. That's the main thread in London. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, if, if... if They don't have to be homosexual. If they have a, a friend who is, is you know, that or way... Or even just a general belief, just, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's a big issue. And so... And it's not... And again, you have to always remind them, like, the issue is the issue of repentance. Like, if you ever... Uh, we all have our struggles and, and sins, but it's... Are you going to persist in that, that this is okay? Or are you going to recognize this is an issue and I'm turning to Christ to solve the issue? And a lot of people just... They don't want to turn; they just want to justify themselves, and and you, you hear that all the time. But anyways, when I was talking to um, this Catholic lady and this other man, when it came to when it came to hell, homosexuality, and the necessity of Christ, that's when the conversation really turned. and the, And the lady, the Catholic lady, insisted that Jesus couldn't have been perfect um, because just no one's perfect he's just a man so surely he couldn't have been perfect mm-hmm. um but that it took a while in that conversation probably 20 or 30 minutes um to get to the real issue and for 20 or 30 minutes the conversation seemed good but when we started to get to hell and i talked about what the bible teaches about homosexuality and the necessity of Christ alone and his sinless life his deity all those things that's when the rubber met, met, met the road okay. and that conversation actually ended pretty quickly after that because they they didn't want to talk about it anymore. But those are things we have to talk about, um, and we can't avoid those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're going to, at the end of our conversation, we're going to kind of come back around to how do we answer these objections from um, religious pluralists and and people who may say that we all believe in the same God, or maybe Jesus couldn't be God, Jesus couldn't have lived a perfect life, so on and so forth, because the Scripture, by God's grace, is rich and full of... Very simple and robust statements on these things. So uh, we'll come back to that later. But I think right now what we want to do is maybe define what religious pluralism is, because even as this is probably the most common thing that you see in London from a l- religious point of view, even in Auburn, this is, as Auburn grows and, and we seek to do ministry in a growing college town, a growing town that you know soon is going to have over a hundred thousand people probably in the next fifteen years. How do we approach? these things, because the more Auburn grows, the more um, cultural relativism is going to grow. And the more that this idea of uh, relativism in terms of religion, I guess I could say religious relativism is going to grow and it's going to spread. So how do we combat this? How do we define it first? Then how do we combat this? So I think the way that we just define it basically is it's a belief that there is no one exclusive religion. That whether you're talking about Buddha or the multiple gods of Hinduism or Allah or Yahweh, uh, these are all ultimately passed to the same destination. Uh, whatever that destination is, is obviously going to be very subjective to the individual, but they're all passed to the same place. And it's kind of interesting because if you think about what pluralism is philosophically, it is exclusive actually in nature. So, what pluralism hates more than anything are exclusive claims. Jesus is the only way to eternal salvation. They hate that. But actually, if you think about what pluralism is, it is exclusive because it's saying that you must be inclusive or you're wrong, that every religion must be equally the same or or pointing towards the same place or it, it has to be wrong, that there is no concrete possibility of one exclusive religion. And so it is exclusive by nature. It's kind of committing the one error that it claims to fight. And that if if you say that Christ is the one way, well, I'm telling you that He isn't, and that my way is correct. This way of pluralism, but that in and of itself is exclusive. So it's kind of interesting that it it, it kind of falls on its own head. But we want to give the devil his due for a moment here. If I'm talking to a a, a a good friend of mine who's a Muslim, or maybe a friend of mine who believes in simulation theory, how do I go about that conversation where they think that after death that they're bound to the same place that I am, their soul be in the same place that I am, even though I'm fighting tooth and nail to share truth with him. And he's just, oh, it doesn't matter, Josh. It doesn't matter, case we'll, we'll all be in the same place. Because that is, it is a hard place t- to to meet him, right? Mm-hmm. If you believe, yeah. even, in, yeah. even an Islamic mm-hmm. man... If an Islamic man comes to a Christian, he if he really believes in Islam, he is going to fight tooth and nail to bring you to his side. That's true. So it's kind of a new phenomenon, really, since romanticism. So how do we, how, how would you go about that conversation?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that that's definitely common. I mean, it's, it is interesting to talk to so many Muslims who um, want to say that Christianity and Islam are basically the same thing. And sadly, I think there, there might be a lot of people who would at least name... Christ and named to be a Christian who might agree with him, but we have to, uh, we do have to say, well, well, no, there is a there is a great, a huge, I mean, an eternal difference, huge difference here. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of times the, the C.S., I mean, just in those conversations, the C.S. Lewis quote comes to mind about, you know, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He can't, he can't be all three of those because of the claims that Jesus made, and it's, going back to the word of God, relying on scripture and what Jesus taught. And we, if we know what Jesus taught and what he said about himself and the claims that he made, then I think we just bring those, uh, into the conversation and, and let the other person wrestle and think about what Jesus has said. So we have to, you know, know and be aware of Jesus's claims about himself and let those do the work in the conversation Um, Because the matter, you know, it's sad. A lot of people just don't, they don't have the knowledge. They don't know actually what Jesus really said and what the Gospels really teach and the New Testament teaches. So I think bringing the Word of God into that, um, I know a lot of times we, or I or a teammate have said that Christianity, like you were talking about, is the most exclusive and inclusive faith in the world. It's the most exclusive uh, because Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to have forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. It's the most inclusive because the offer is for all. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. And so um, the offer is there for everyone, but it's a narrow road. And um, only through Christ can we come to God. So I think just emphasizing that truth in the conversation and then trusting the Holy Spirit to apply it to their heart and mind.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Another C.S. Lewis quote that comes to my mind, um, I don't know the exact quote, but I'll paraphrase. Basically, Lewis was talking about the irony of a self-made man religion, of a, of a man-made religion. And Lewis quotes... Basically, Basically, Lewis is arguing about the transcendence of God, the aesthetic of God. He's saying... God is eternally transcendent. God is eternally self-existent. And we'll probably, maybe we'll get into God's self-existence uh, later on in this podcast or another one. But Lewis says, we flipped the script on its head. If God is transcendent and eternally self-existent, then he ultimately houses good in and of himself in his own being. That God himself is what spurns good. Mm, but good. we, as a man-made culture, as a man as an idolatrous culture, we have put God on the docket. Mm -hmm. We have said that God, unless your law, unless your scripture lines up with what we think is best and what we think is right, then you are wrong. And so it's kind of ironic that you have the the creature talking to the creator saying, we're putting you on trial, because that's essentially what religious pluralism is. And you go back to that conversation um, about homosexuality that you were having in London you were reading scripture to them and to a woman who is a confessing Catholic, and they hold to you know, you know, a, a, not a high level of scripture, but a decently high view of scripture. And she's denying Jesus's words that you're just reading from scripture at that point. And why why would she do that? Because she's saying that I know more than God. That mm. that God's law, God's mora- God's idea of morality must line up with my idea of morality because mine is right. And if we think about that, that's just so wrong because yeah. god has the power of necessary right. being mm-hmm. uh god exists of his own power we lack yeah. that power of necessary being we only live because christ you know, because god breathes through mm-hmm. our lungs and yet we're putting him on this docket of judging his morality by our presuppositions so i think that's so interesting and yeah. and yeah, it's, that's, sobering. That's a good word. it's sobering it's sobering because these are conversations that we must have that we must be equipped to have and it's it's different than having a conversation with a confessing catholic or a confessing muslim who holds to the quran and is reading the quran every day and is you know going and doing all of all of the rituals I mean it's different so i think by okay. god's grace like what you said earlier we have to trust through the holy spirit that the holy spirit will ultimately apply the truth to their hearts, because we have no power of persuasion over them. Uh, We should absolutely do what 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to do, and Paul instructs us to be ready to destroy arguments uh, in every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. Mm. And then he follows that with holding all of our thoughts and actions captive to Christ. And it if we hold that that we are called to destroy yeah. arguments, yeah, um, then that of course must hold to this idea of religious pluralism as well, not just openly confessing hard opposing religions.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I th- going off that, I think um, the idea of you know destroying arguments and the word that comes to my mind is is to proclaim. And when I first got to London, and an older missionary was talking and said that. It basically, if you want to in a sense survive in London in conversations and you you have to proclaim you it's and and when he was he was saying, proclaim not I mean it doesn't necessarily mean the tone or the volume of your voice. It doesn't mean yelling at people, but in conversations, you have to we have to be confident that we do have the truth of God. We have God's word. And it's something that we have to tell and to share. Uh, it's not just another option to add to the table. It's not just a you know another flavor at the at the drink machine. This this is the truth of the one true God. And having that confidence in conversations is, I think, very important. Not only in London, but here in Auburn, in a university town. Um, obviously, there is a loving way to do it and a gentle way to do it, but we, we're not presenting options so much as retelling what God has already said. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think of Acts um, 17, 23, where Paul is in Athens, a place quite like London or even a university Very town. pluralistic society there. Absolutely, Very, very pluralistic, right? And he's walking through there, and he comes to the Areopagus, and he says, you know, you have this unknown God, and what you worship is the unknown God. This I proclaim to you. And so Paul comes into this place, this plural pluralistic place, and he says, look, what you're worshiping is unknown, let me tell you, and he, and he proclaims to them um, the truth. And I, I think that that the idea is we have to have confidence um, in God and in His Word and then share that with people like we believe it. And of course, one of two things are, is going to happen, like they're going to be more hardened or if God's Spirit is at work, they'll be softened and they may come to a saving relationship with christ what we can't do is leave people in between because if we don't proclaim if we don't share the truth then no one will we we won't see people coming to christ at least not in our own lives god will get them there however his means are but if we want to be the instrument um then we need to be sharing truth and we'll see God at work, and we'll definitely see a lot of negative responses. Probably the majority of the responses will be negative, but to to see fruit, we need to be using not wood, hay, and straw that's going to be burned up, but we need to be building on Jesus Christ, and Paul talked about that, you know, that our ministries will be tested by fire if we build with wood, hay, and straw, and, and my estimation when Paul's talking about that in Corinthians, uh, he's talking about ministry structure and ideas and, and there's a lot of churches and ministries that are building the foundation of their ministries and of their churches with wood hay and straw and they may have a big gathering they may have they may think they have a, a lot of converts or you know big numbers but are they are they building on Jesus Christ and his word or are they using sort of gimmicks or man-made ideas to get people to come um, but they're not leaving them with the truth. I, we should rather build with what's true and the good gold material that's going to last um, on the day of judgment and eternity. You know, we want we want to build if, if in our churches and our own lives we want to share and live in such a way to maybe to win the few. I mean, you know, I would, we would rather have a small church, a small gathering, um, a, a couple of disciples over the course of our life that are truly in Christ than to, um, you know, sell people something that sounds good and feels good, but has no eternal value. Yeah,
0: that's good. So now that we've kind of defined pluralism and maybe how you, you've gone about those conversations in London, I want to give our listeners a few tactical, practical ways to go about fighting this. Um, what pluralists do, and what all relativists or postmodernists do, they start from man up. You know, they look at they look within themselves for truth, and uh, they look specifically within their feelings for truth, with, within their emotions for truth. Uh, what we want to do is look at God's word, uh, which transcends all time, and which transcends uh, which transcends each generation that we live in. You know, truth doesn't change depending on the wind and the wave of the age, but rather it stands firm. In God's Word as He's revealed it to us. So let's start there. Um, Let's take kind of a four-pronged approach, and I'll just kind of bring up these four topics um, as we go on. The first thing that I want to talk about in terms of talking to a religious pluralist, and really this would apply to pretty much anyone who holds another religion, is that we, we have to start... At the point of, G- uh, if we're talking about Christ, like you said with the CS yeah. Lewis quote, he's either a, he, he's a lunatic, a liar, yeah. or yeah. lord. Uh, Jesus Himself claims to be God. Um, he claims to be God in such a way that he identifies with God the Father's ultimate self revelation of Himself in the Old Testament. In John eight, Jesus very simply says, "I am," uh, calling back to Exodus three uh, and the encounter that Moses has with the burning bush, and Moses is is asking God, you know, who are you? <laughs> Basically, why do I have to take my shoes off? Why is this holy ground? And God's answer to who am I who calls you is I am. That's God's ultimate self-identification of himself, mm-hmm. that God is who he is, and that is the ultimate self-identification that God chooses to describe himself as. He, I am means I am. Means I exist of my own power. I exist out of necessity. You exist because I am Moses. You, case, and you, Josh. You exist because I am who I am. And in John eight, Jesus says the exact same thing. Hmm. And so yeah. Jesus isn't just saying I am a deity. Uh, Jesus is saying I am just like God the Father. Yahweh is. I am. I am equal. With God, and uh, my goodness, that that's so about that's that's a about, big deal. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. and so we're, of course, especially if you're talking to a Muslim or a Jew, mm-hmm. this is. I mean, you you got to start here. Right? Um, yeah. G, you know, the Muslim prophet Jesus <laughs> can't stand very long. He he becomes a lunatic pretty quickly. Right. Um, if you're a Muslim, but he is either a lunatic or a Lord, and he is our Lord. He is yeah. King. All creation was made through him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we are yeah. judging his moral stances, which Trying is super to, interesting. Yeah. So Jesus being God. Uh, so in case, t- why don't you just give us a couple little nuggets on how you see those conversations playing out in London? Because, uh, like you said, if that that woman who claims to be Catholic, you would mm-hmm. assume that she holds Jesus to be God. However, she very clearly said that Jesus wasn't perfect; that right. he didn't live a sinless life. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you go about approaching that?
1: Yeah, um, that's. And that's when we run into, a, or I run into a lot in conversations with Muslims, especially, is trying to show them the deity of Jesus. And you know, first off, God has to be at work in the person enough for them to be willing to listen for a little bit. Because it is, even though it's not all just knowledge and intellect, there is a component of the gospel, of the truth, that takes. A little bit of focus, pay attention, and following. Um, and so, number one, a lot of times with Muslims, I, at least I've found that they're they're not they're willing to speak and share what they believe. But a lot of times, when I would like to show them from the scriptures what Jesus actually said, it seems sometimes hard to get them to focus or stay around long enough to look into it. So I, I don't. I, I just want to say that we have to pray and ask God to be working in people's lives and and trust God to bring us to people who are open and willing enough to look into the scriptures with us because with, as far as like the deity of Christ, I mean, I Jesus said to Satan when he was being tempted in the wilderness, and this is when I try to share with people, Satan says to Jesus, you know, worship me and I'll give you all the, all the uh, kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says to Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God only, and him only shall you serve. And Satan rebuked, or Jesus rebuked Satan by saying, I'll only worship the Lord God. And then, later in the Gospels, many times, Jesus is worshipped. After his resurrection, Mary Magdalene comes up, holds his feet, worships him. Matthew 28, at the mountain of Galilee, it says, when the disciples saw him, they worshiped him. I mean, all throughout the Gospels, we know that people are ascribing public worship to Jesus, and he always receives it. Every time Jesus receives worship, there's no point where Jesus turns someone away from worshiping him. Now, when in Acts, when Paul and Barnabas are starting to be worshiped, and they're called Zeus and Hermes, uh, and the people are you know trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, they tear their robes and they're like, no, stop doing this. With Peter, same thing. So um, I think showing people, look, Jesus always received worship, and he said you should only worship God. So Jesus clearly was God and believed himself to be God. That's one way.
0: Yep, for sure. Um, The second point that I I want us to definitely be firm on here is that just like the woman said, she said Jesus was a sinner, that he couldn't have lived a perfect life. However, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says very clearly, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that for our sake, God made Christ to be sin, even though he knew no sin. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is either a liar or a lunatic, or he's a servant of the Lord. Uh, Very clearly here, Paul makes it obvious that, Christ was sinless. Uh, we can also go to Hebrews 1, uh, verses, I'll read verses 2 and 3, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So here the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact nature of God the Father, which means that he is God and also means that he is sinless, unless religious pluralists would hold that the transcendent God who they claim exists. Is sinless? I mean, is sinful himself. So again, logic is kind of thrown out the door when you when we're talking to a pluralist. I think we kind of have to be comfortable with that. Um, But here we have the transcendent Word of God, who's very very clearly telling us that Jesus is God. Jesus is Himself telling us that He is God, and also very clearly telling us that He is sinless. So that's point two. Point one: we have Jesus is God. Point two: we have that He was sinless. And so third, and this is. This is where I want to spend a little bit more time is that um, he died a substitutionary death. God had to die for man because man can't atone for man. God had to atone for man. So when we talk about this atoning death, what was Christ atoning for? Well, he was, of course, atoning for our sins. Why? Because God required the law to be satisfied. God required our sins atoned for pluralists don't last long in the atoning conversation. You bring up the atonement or sins, you kind of get written off maybe intellectually saying, "What? <laughs> yeah. who are you to define my sin, or who are you to define my actions as sin, and, and, and God's is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit already. But I think we have to, to, to stay here a moment and, and say that if we believe in the sacrificial atoning death of Christ, that is exclusive, because it is only by faith, right, sola fide, that we inherit that salvation we are only justified by faith alone in Christ alone and the foundation of the Protestant faith is we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone to the glory of God alone those are four right. exclusive Amen. statements and yeah. then we come to the sola scriptura which means but we only know God through his word through his word alone right um, and, and and that was the foundation of, of of the Protestant faith uh it's exclusive by nature and so I think we have to come to the point saying that we only by faith mm-hmm. can know Christ,
1: right? That yeah, exactly. And um, I think we have to spend a lot of time. We're talking to Pluralists on the holiness of God, and on what we were talking about earlier. You know, we we are dependent on Him. He's the Creator. We're the creature. He. We, so I think a lot of times sin isn't a big deal. Rebellion against God not a big deal, and then next thing, and then the the result of that is that the cross, the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus isn't a big deal. So what we have to do is elevate, really not elevate, magnify who God is and his holiness and his righteousness and his justice, and then show who we are and our sinfulness. And then you can see uh, the beauty and the glory and the necessity of the cross. Because so many times, I mean, people just do not understand the the weight of their sin and the holiness of God and therefore the cross of Jesus isn't all that it should be in their eyes it's not a big it's deal worthless yeah i mean uh, so that's you know the cross is beautiful and amazing and we worship Jesus Christ when we realize our sinfulness god's holiness and how much we need Jesus
0: yeah uh, so as christians we hold that the law had to be perfectly fulfilled by us to achieve salvation. I mean, when God gives us His law on on Mount Sinai, we we have to perfectly atone for that law in order to have a works-based shot at heaven, right? <laughs> but yeah. of course, we only go 10 seconds and we break all the laws. Um, and, and so we have to look to something greater, something more. And so Christianity, in and of itself, is an enemy of pluralism. Uh, Pluralism is an enemy of biblical Christianity because it says that there is salvation under many names. Under all names, there is salvation. There is salvation in and of yourself, Cason. There is salvation in and of your own feelings. Um, But Luke, writing of a a sermon that Peter was preaching in Acts 4, uh, says Peter, Peter is saying, and there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this is an exclusive statement. This is Peter saying that there is one name mm-hmm. by which you will be saved, and that is the name of our atoning Redeemer. So faith in Christ, faith in the substitutionary death, and finally his resurrection, which is one of the most laughed at things to a religious pluralist, to say uh, that a man was raised from the dead. So have you had that conversation with too many people in London, or has, do you even <laughs> really get there?
1: Yeah, we we do, I do get there, and, but the, and that is a great um, it's, it can be hard to get there, but I think that is the best apologetic, um, is what about the resurrection and can you disprove it and, you know, ask them to look into the resurrection and, and see what they find out about that. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead and we believe he did, then he has all the authority it proves his deity. Um, and so it's, it's definitely a great, a great talking point. And um and for his lordship too. I mean, if this man came back from the dead, shouldn't he have a say on your life? Shouldn't he have a, a claim? Shouldn't he have a place in your life? Um, so it's the resurrection is a great um a great thing to talk about and to, you know, encourage people to look into because it a lot of people just don't think about it. But if you, you know, encourage them to think about now what if this happened? We believe that it did, you know, Paul said and, and also sort of pulling up even the biblical evidence Jesus appeared 11 times over the course of 40 days and at one time to 500 people at once and the first people that saw him risen from the dead were women and in that day women did not have the rights and the status that we have today. and it's in a place like London that that is and in, in Auburn I mean this all this at a university reminded people, hey, first people that saw jesus after he rose were women It's radical that's amazing if if you're trying to fabricate a story and come up with something 2000 years ago in the middle east yeah. you don't you say don't that you don't say women found him yeah you leave that part out right and so the fact that the biblical writers put it in there it must mean that they're just reporting they're it as it, right yeah. as it truly happened so
0: yeah not to yeah. mention the the dozens of h- actual historical secular records of people saying that they saw Jesus after he died. I mean, this, like you said, he appeared to 500 people at once. He wasn't trying to hide anything. So, um, you know, this is our faith. This is the Mm -hmm. foundation of our faith that Jesus is God, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a substitutionary death and that he finally rose and is now reigning at the right hand of God. So when we talk to a pluralist, we have no choice. If we love that brother or sister who we're conversing with, we have no choice but to, but to tell them the truth of this Jesus who calls us to drop mm-hmm. everything and take up our cross and follow him, who calls us to repent and believe and to be baptized and to call upon the name of of Christ and to... to I mean, the concept of repenting and believing to the religious pluralist is madness. Mm-hmm. Repenting yeah. of what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How dare you, you know? <laughs> That's madness. We have... To, to tell a brother or sister who we love now to repent and believe in the gospel is a radical thing, a relativist 21st century that we live. Um, but we, if we love them, we must. We have no mm-hmm. choice. We're called to do this. So, and I'm just so thankful that we were able to have you on today. Uh, brother, it's been such an encouragement to hear your testimony and to hear how faithful you're being in London, how faithful I know your team is being. Uh, I know you're living with two other guys that are doing ministry with you every day, and it's got to just be an awesome little apartment to live in, Uh, just guys building each other up all day long and talking about ministry. So really thankful for that and really thankful that you've uh, come and spoken in the life of our church and are helping us to be equipped for these conversations that unfortunately are now having to be had in Auburn. So um, thank you
1: again for coming on the podcast, and we uh, hope to see you soon. Josh, thank you so much, and thank you, Christ Press, for just allowing me to be a part of this. I enjoyed being on today; it's been a real blessing. So, yeah. So
0: I'll take us out by uh, reading Romans chapter ten, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Thank you for Case and Sibley. It's Josh Anders signing out. See you next time. We're Eagle.